how many of you have been in an argument when after the argument is over, you realize that it really didn't matter? How many wives have you um, spoken to your husbands about arguments that you have and you realize after you've had it, they're just an idiot? No, just kidding. Um, as a father, I have seen this happen with our children. In fact, it happened this morning um, with all the rain. We got tadpoles in our ditch because we have, we're in the Houston streets haven't improved by us. So we still have a ditch and it fills up with water and then our culvert fills up with water and then in there are mosquitoes and tadpoles. Well, we had two weeks of dry weather, and we had, to, we had to actually spend money putting water in there because <laughs> the tadpoles couldn't die. <laughs> so we put the water in there so that they could maybe turn into frogs. We were gone, though, for about three days, and it was kind of warm. And when we came back into the house, I looked in there, and I'm like, I think they're all dead. And the kids were, oh. But miraculously, in the last couple days, we've been seeing these itty-bitty frogs or toads. I'm not sure what they are. But they're these itty-bitty things. And you're probably going, where is he going with this? But just bear with me. These itty-bitty toads. And my son and daughter and other daughter and other daughter have been playing with these toads. And I've been trying to remind them that they're just itty bitty things, so when you like pick them up and pinch them, it's like someone crushing you. And so they were like picking these up, and my son, who's that CNK kid, so I can say this, he lied to me this morning because somehow a frog got on our porch. And I asked, did you put the frog there? And he said, no, I didn't. It just got up here. And so um, they began arguing then because he said, well, Breezy, help me do it. And Aubriana's like, I didn't do anything. And then she goes, I just threw it in the water. And then I said, well, I told you not to touch the toads anymore. And they both started arguing back and forth, who did more than the other? And I stopped and I said, you realize... You are arguing over toads. <laughs> Can we just stop for one second? I wonder how many times we in our lives begin arguing over something that in the moment it means everything. But when you play the long game, it means nothing. Well, today as we go into scripture, we're going to see that this is kind of what was occurring in Acts. So Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates. Now remember last week what had happened is that they had come all the way from their place to come back to Jerusalem to have an argument decided whether or not you had to be circumcised. So it was important. Or actually, I would say that's a good argument. But they were asking what needed to be done. And the church then in Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters, began to debate it. And then they came up with a solution. 
So the church in Jerusalem chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. This was the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and the elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you, so don't worry about being circumcised, than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. So what arguments should stay and what ones should go? This may seem a little bit confusing because last week I talked about the only thing that matters is Jesus. The only thing that matters is that he died for you and he rose again, and that assures you that he is your Savior and he is the only way. You can add nothing to it. You can take nothing from it. You can't add to your salvation. You can't take away from it. Jesus accomplished it completely. So then why would this council of apostles, Paul and Barnabas as well, make a decision where they say, but you must abstain from food offered to idols. And you shouldn't consume blood or the meat of strangled animals. Verse 29, it says that very thing. It may seem kind of strange because that kind of sounds like, well, I have to do something then. So why would this be the decision? I mean, I honestly think that eating blood sausage may be kind of sinful. Just because I don't like it. And you could easily jump into this verse and go, well, I think maybe it is. But then again, when we look at this from a larger context, we see that Paul is not just saying that they should stop doing this because this is the law of the Lord, but maybe he was trying to say, how can you love your Jewish brothers during this time? Instead of having an argument about everything, what if you stopped in some areas and both sides began to sacrifice. So you're used to doing this. You're used to eating blood. You're, e you're used to eating the animals that were sacrificed. But what if you made a sacrifice and said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to abstain from that as Gentile believers to love our Jewish believers who don't do this at all. Now, it's hard to get into this argument because we're not used to this, right? Like the whole sacrifice to idols thing is kind of something that happens in horror movies and things like that, not 
something that we encounter. It's not like you go over to your neighbor's house and go, oh, you're sacrificing an idol today. Well, I'm not going to eat that. You don't normally do that. I mean, I hope you don't do that. I don't, I haven't experienced that, but maybe you have. But what Paul is doing is he's saying, what if you guys, and the council as well, what if you love them while we try to love you? What if you let this argument go? And so Paul wrote this letter, and he actually wrote this concerning the Judaizers. He wanted to make sure that as they were working through this whole issue of the church coming together with two different populations, that they would begin accepting one another. And so he wrote a letter to the Romans, and chapter 14 says this, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord, and if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He then goes on to say, I know and I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom, God, whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Now, it seems like a distant argument for us, but actually I think this argument still comes into play. We have this whole movement right now on organic or not organic, right? Um, Sarah and I experience some of this at other people's homes, not any of you, so don't worry, I'm not pointing fingers here. But we've had people who said, well, I can't eat that because it's not organic. Now just imagine going into someone else's home and they put out a spread of food and you're going, hmm, if that's not organic, I'm not gonna eat it. Is there anything wrong with eating organic? No. Do we eat some organic stuff? Yes, we do. We think it's actually probably good for our family. We should do it. But I will tell you, because we love other people, when we go to someone else's house, we'll refrain or abstain from the things that we think are important to place them upon them. So maybe I eat a bunch of like processed food and I go, that's okay. Because whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord. And as Paul says in Romans, accept other believers. Love them. Don't let your idea of what is good be placed upon someone else. Let God tell you what is good and go with that. 
Some people with Bible versions, they do the same thing. They believe that the only Bible version that is actually the Word of God is the King James Version. They do exist. And they would say right now, as I'm preaching from the NLT, that that's not really God's Word. But if I go and I speak to a bunch of people who appreciate the King James Version, am I loving them if I go, I think the King James Version is stupid. So let's listen to this version instead. Does that really matter? Is it an argument worth fighting? There's a lot of bickering in the church where churches compare themselves with one another. One church will say, well, we do it this way, and so we're much better. Or one church will say, well, we're really cool, and that church is kind of boring. Aren't we all supposed to be on the same team? Isn't there just one message that we're supposed to bring? Isn't it an argument worth fighting for? Is it worth degrading another church so that you can feel better about your own? There's a popular song, and we hear it in our house all the time. It's called, Let It Go. <laughs> in fact, I heard it this morning from Amaria. She kind of had her own version. Let it go, let it go. It's how she sees it. I kind of like her version. But I love the song in the sense for this, when you think about arguments, you can apply this to your marriage. When you have an argument that is stupid, Say, just let it go. I'm going to let it go. When you're arguing over whether or not where you should eat tonight, maybe you can let it go. When you have arguments in your family about whether you showed up or this other person didn't show up, or maybe you can just let it go. When you argue about whether your kids are going to wear this certain clothing or that certain clothing, parents, maybe you can just let it go. I would much rather have you push your efforts towards, do my kids believe in Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Do they know who Jesus is? I'd much rather have you look at your family and say, do they love Jesus? Have I talked to them about Jesus lately? Or do I spend more time in arguments than anything else? I'd much rather have you look at your spouse and go, have I shared Jesus with my spouse lately? Or do I just assume that he's there? Does it just mean because we were married in a church and maybe a pastor married us that he just kind of exists in our marriage? So we spend more time in arguments than we do looking at one another and saying, Jesus thought that you and I were important enough to die for. So let's let all this other stuff go 
And let's focus on the real stuff, like living life with Jesus, walking alongside with Jesus. That is basically what Paul and the apostles and the church of Jerusalem was saying in that first statement. You guys are arguing about circumcision. You're arguing about whether you should eat food from sacrifice to idols, whether they should be animals that were strangled. And he's saying, can you let this go? Gentiles, can you let this one go and abstain from this so that we can have peace right now? It's not really that important. And he's saying to the Jewish believers, can you let the whole issue of circumcision go? So as a church, we can be unified. I'm sure you can come up with a lot of other things that we argue about. But I wanted us to just think about how arguments can sometimes be our entire focus. And they may be about nothing at all. But there is a second part. And this is, should I stay or should I go? Should I stay with the argument or should I let the argument go? This second part is one that when you look at the larger context of Scripture, it definitely should stay. Verse 29, you must abstain from blah, 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 and then at the end, and from sexual immorality. In several letters to the church, Paul writes about this. And why does he write about this? Really, it's no different than from today, right? We are as sexually immoral today as they were then. There's nothing new under the sun. Although we think that there are some things that are crazy and new, it's not really new. We still think, well, if I do it my way instead of God's way, I will, it'll still be okay. I can have sex before marriage, that's okay. Everybody's doing it. I can have sex outside of my marriage. As long as it's just like looking at porn or something and I'm not really touching someone. It's an argument that Paul says, this is what destroys you. Because what you do with your body affects your soul. He says in Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. It starts with your identity. Remind yourself that you are living out as God's children. Again, that he would do anything for you to be in his family. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, pleasing as a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness for God. You may not have been here that Sunday that we had Mike Breen preach, but we experienced a movement of the Spirit in here when he had us all stop for one moment and begin thinking through what we should be thankful for. From the littlest thing, like that I have socks with my shoes, 
that I have shoes. And giving thanks to God for that we have a car. And beyond that, we have a car that we have gas to put in the car. That God has provided us a house and a home and children. That he has provided me good health and begin going through everything. That I have a bed to sleep in and sheets on the bed. That I've that I had a cup this morning that I can drink my coffee out of. That I was able to grind some coffee beans and make my own coffee this morning. That we had gas for our stove that heated up my water to pour into the French press. Why do I need a French press? I don't know, because it looks cool. So I, you have all these things that God's given you, but oftentimes you can walk through your entire home and your entire day and forget to give thanks. But this is an identity of a child of God. That we displace the arguments with thankfulness. That we displace the sin that we are so easily entangled into by turning ourselves, turning our posture towards thankfulness for what God has done. So guess this is how it practically applies for us. If you are stuck and you're about ready to go and look at porn because right now you're not satisfied in your marriage, stop, stop, and begin giving thanks for your wife. Sorry, guys, I threw you all under the bus because the majority of porn watchers are guys. However, women, you're stuck in this too. So the moment that you start fantasizing about a a much better husband, stop and start giving thanks for the things that your current husband offers. And, when, and don't give me, well, I can't think of anything. <laughs> stop for a moment and think about how awesome God is and what he's done for you. And can you trust him with your life? It's a chronic issue with our culture, sexual immorality. And we, instead of making decisions based on his word, we make decisions based on what we feel right. Right? What's going to make me happy? Have you heard that? Have you guys talked? I'm sure you've had to have these conversations because I have the conversations. And I'm a pastor, and usually that shuts down some of these conversations. But not always. What makes you happy? Well, whatever you think is right, you do it. If it's going to make you happy, have you said that? How many of you said that? Come on now. If it's going to make you happy, just go do it. That is the worst thing you can say. What about, you know what, if it's going to help you follow Jesus, then go do it. If it's going to show the love of Jesus, then go do it. What if you changed your language with your friends? This is going to make you a person who loves others sacrificially as you follow Jesus, then it's probably a good thing. But we often go, well, you know, dude, just... Actually, this is a conversation we used to have in college. That's why the dude came out. Um, 
my friends and I, we would always, when we we're making decisions, my one friend Matt would always go, dude, you just got to do what you think is right, man. So do what you think is right. I'm telling you today, that is the worst thing to do. Because in our core, we, we want to do what is wrong. And we need others to focus us back on Jesus to tell us what is right. And the only way they can do that is through his word. We have a testimony this morning. And it's about a guy who his friend said, you know, you do what you think is right. Do whatever will make you happy. So he did. And then he found Jesus. And he realized that life with Jesus is much better than life when you do what you think is right. Let's take a look. Got me now. I'm back to being who God wanted me to be as a man. And it doesn't really matter what I got between my legs because uh, no one's going to see it anyway. And uh, I, I've been reading my Bible every day, and all I could hear was God saying, well, you really need to go back to being who I made you. And your story is great, but just don't do it as a girl because you're not a girl. And I know that. It just tears me up to think that, that, that I did all this. And uh, I, I, I was a phony. I was a fraud. But I tried pulling it off. And, and, and people, people called me ma'am and, and, and she and her. And, you know, I had my long hair. I didn't wear much makeup. As you can see, I got lip liner. I had the eyebrows tattooed, which now I got to live this way. But it's a great testimony. And uh, I just want to try to help someone else before they make the same mistake I did. Everybody I told I was getting a sex change and blah, 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 they all said, oh, if that's what, if that's what you think is right, then go ahead and do it. You know, if, if, if you feel good, feel good about it, you know, if that's what you want, go, go do it. And uh, how can that happen when you're supposed to be accountable for your brothers and sisters and help them out, according to what I read? And uh, they didn't do it. They did not do it. And to this day, they thought I was going to be a disgrace to them. That's why they didn't do anything. They just told me to, there's the door. I said, okay, you know. But I always thought I needed to be important. And that's another reason, all the tattoos and the, the piercings. I thought, uh, oh, I'm going to be somebody someday. Uh, I want to be famous, you know. But now, I do want to be famous. But I want to be famous for God. And I want to I take everybody down the path that needs help. Please listen to this because... Without the Lord, you'll have nothing. You'll have nothing. You know, he's the, he's the vine and we're the branches, and uh, we can do nothing without him. But the whole thing is why most people will not go to any of these things because it's all about the embarrassment. You are so embarrassed with what you've been doing that you can't tell anybody that. And that's what I kept a secret for all those years. I couldn't tell nobody. I was too embarrassed. But you have to stop. You have to stop and, 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 and get help because... You're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy the life of your, of your friends, your spouse, your, whoever it may be, because this is the worst thing that I think that, 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 that anybody could do is, is get involved in the, the sex uh, industry or business or, or whatever. It, it destroyed me, but praise God, uh, I'm set free now, and I'm happy as can be. I am so happy. It's overjoyed, you know, because my life now is like over the top. I have nothing, but I have everything, if that makes sense, because I have Jesus.
as disciples who make disciples. We are charged to know when to let things go and when to let things stay. And I pray that the arguments as we let some of those arguments go, that we don't become so in the process of letting it go that we forget that we also have a charge, that the truths of God have to stay. And even when it makes us uncomfortable that we have those conversations with our brothers and our sisters, and we don't say, well, you do what you think is right, but we tell them what God says is right. And we don't turn our back on them, even if they make a wrong decision. But we love them like Jesus called us to love them. That means we keep them in our life. We keep inviting them back into the life of Jesus, even when they may make decisions that are far from what Jesus would call us to do. That's what disciples do. We don't do the short game. We don't do just what makes us happy. We go for the long game, which means you got to get in the mess and the muck of people's lives. You got to get ready to be frustrated. Who likes being frustrated? I love it. Who likes to have endless hours of talking through things with people? It's not always going to be fun, but I'll tell you at the end, did you hear his testimony? He's filled with joy because he has Jesus. For every person that you think is a lost hope, what great joy will come to both you and to them if you just love them like Jesus Jesus loved by telling the truth, by giving invitation, saying, come with me, be with me. He also loved people by challenging them. Go and sin no more. Leave it behind. Hard words. But that's the way Jesus loved, and that's the way I hope we can love too. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day as we think about what you are saying in our lives. For the people that you've placed in our lives that some of them, Lord, we maybe have a hard time figuring out how we share you with them. So Lord, help us to stop trying to figure it out and instead just be you. Love them. Meet them where they're at. Invite them over. Spend time with them but holds fast and true to your truth. Lord, we don't have to defend you. You speak for yourself. So Lord, allow us to be your vessels that you speak through. In your name we pray, amen.